F. I'm thinking of Father's Day today and the call of men to live in integrity before the Lord. We're going to look at what Ephesians 5 teaches of the calling primarily of the Christian husband that obviously affects the Christian father as well. So we're going to read verse 21 through the end of the chapter. Our text will be verses 25 to the end of the chapter. But we'll begin our reading at verse 21. Hear now the word of the Lord. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now our text. Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present, her, present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband." There ends the reading of God's word. We sing now Psalm 116, verse 1, 5, verse 25 to 33. I'm not going to read that again, but I encourage you to leave your Bibles open as we study God's word together. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, today is Father's Day. It's a day which is wonderful, joyful for many families. For other families, it may be a difficult day. Families that have lost a father, families who do not have a godly father, the concept itself can be difficult for some. And yet, we have a father who is in heaven. We've sang to him, we've been praying to him, we've come before him now in worship, and he comes to us in grace, and he calls us his children. And it's that Father in heaven that our earthly fathers are to picture. That a godly earthly father, a children should learn first and foremost what God is like from the love, from the care, from the provision, from the protection of an earthly father. So this morning we look at Ephesians 5. And we see this calling inside of the home. It begins with the calling of a Christian wife to submit to her husband calling of a Christian husband. Ephesians 6 is going to deal with children obeying their parents. 
and parents, fathers especially, not provoking their children. What is this saying, though, about husbands in particular? If the wife's calling in verse 22 is to submit to your own husbands as to the Lord's, the husband's calling in this passage is to love. To love. Love in the biblical sense of the word. Not in the Hollywood sense of the word. In the biblical sense of the word. To love, to cherish, to love his wife. And when he loves his wife, he will love his children. It was Matthew Henry who said nearly 300 years ago, he put it beautifully about this love relationship between the husband and the wife. He said, quote, The woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. With that in mind, we turn our attention to God's word. Our theme is, the Christian husband is to be a Christ-like head of the home. The Christian husband is called to be the Christ-like head of the home. Two points, the call to love, and secondly, the call to lead. So first, the call to love. Verse 25, our text begins, Husbands, love your wives. Simple enough. In fact, the call for the husband to love his wife is found three times in our text. Verse 25, verse 28, and verse 33. Husbands, love your wife. And we begin to see in the same way that a woman's calling is to submit to her husband as being a recognition of God's order. This is how God made the family. This is how God made covenant units to be the foundation of society that a wife submits to her husband. So too, in God's ordering of creation, husbands must love their wives. And that simply is following God's creation order of love, of giving oneself in a sacrificial way. The problem men face today in this post-Christian culture is that love and sexuality becomes more defined by Hollywood and the media than it does by the church or by God's word. But God's word is clear. It gives clear a picture of love. If you have your Bibles open, turn over to 1 John chapter 4. People seek their whole lives trying to figure out what love is. They write poems, they write sonnets, they write books. Always seeking and never finding answers. But the answers are clear in God's word. 1 John chapter 4, look at verse 10. Sorry, 1 John 4, look at verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. God is love, and he's shown that love by sending Jesus Christ. Very simply, love is not a feeling. 
Love is not an emotional. Love from God is a commitment followed by action. A commitment followed by action. God so loved us that he sent his son to die for us. He did this in part because he said that he would. He ordained this to take place even before any of us were born. Verse 25 says that we are to love as Christ loved the church. Verse 25 of our text is the most important verse in the scriptures of how a Christian husband should love in terms of how he views, how he treats, how he interacts with Christ. If he is a believer, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Verse 25, if you are a believer, is the most amazing and most frightening of verses for the calling of the Christian husband. Just like Jesus loved the church, men, you are to love your wives. What we have been being fed in 2017 and throughout our lives is that love has been replaced with lust. Frankly, it's not a new concept. It's as old as sin itself. When David looked at Bathsheba, he did not love her. His actions that followed by sleeping with her was not love either. It was lust. Falling head over heels in love, falling in and out of love is a letting emotions drive the train. Now, in marital love, don't get me wrong, there are emotions. There is romance in marriage. This isn't a cold view of puritanical love or something. It's very real, but that's not the foundation. Because feelings, emotions, and romance changes. But love ought not to change. It ought to be a consistent commitment by the fact that you have said, I do, for better or for worse, throughout our whole lives. And until you die or I die, I will love you. That's what you said. As you men have promised. Commitment followed through by action. In this way, take a couple who is engaged to be married. Next Saturday, Lord willing, I'll perform a wedding in our congregation. Nice, beautiful, young Christian couple, both members of the church. It's a time of joy and thanksgiving. But tomorrow, that woman could call me and say, Pastor, I'm not doing it. It's off. Wedding is over. I say, okay, we'll talk it through. But frankly, I might think, well, oh, good then. Better now than in two weeks. Because in two weeks, it's too late. You're, you're then married after the fact. When you get married, when you say, I do... Now you're in it for life. Engagement can be broken off. There'll be tears, there'll be healing, but okay, it's permissible. Marriage is not. It's for life. In that way, a married couple can love each other more or greater than an engaged couple because the commitment has not yet been there. Right? Dating or courting leads into engagement. There's some type of commitment there, but it leads into marriage. And now... Husband and wife, we are bound together till death do us part. Marriage is a lifelong bond. So as we think of what the man is called to, is one who is called to love like Christ, he is first of all called to be faithful to his wife. 
and faithful to the commitment that he made. His love is to reflect Christ's love for the church. Once again, this is mentioned in verse 23. Christ's love for the church reflecting marriage, verse 25. Verse 29, it's a theme throughout. And one practical way this is seen is in the fact that the husband must sacrifice in order to serve, just as Jesus Christ did. The husband is called to give himself. And when we start to think of what Jesus Christ accomplished, that a man, a husband, is to love as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, what did Jesus Christ actually do in the giving up of himself? When this begins to get fleshed out, then we can see he came down from heaven into humility. He came from glory to humility. Not for his own good, but for the good of his bride. He suffered persecution. He was mocked and mistreated. His words were twisted, all for his bride. He was falsely accused for his bride. Ultimately, he went to the cross. He died for his bride. This is what Jesus did in life. When we start to see the words used in our text, how much more does that move us to thanksgiving? A text like this ought to first just drive us to our knees and say, thank you, Lord. And then, please help me, O Lord. Thank you what Jesus Christ has done. Verse 26 says there that he might sanctify her, which means to make her holy, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. That's likely a reference to baptism and therefore to identity and what baptism means. It's an identity with Christ. He presents her to himself as one beautifully arrayed. As a bride walks down the aisle, she is most beautiful in the eyes of the bridegroom as he sees his future wife coming, and he loves her. Jesus Christ clothed his bride. He paid for the wedding dress with his own righteousness, and it's beautiful, and it's white, showing purity, showing sanctity, not because the bride, us, not because we're beautiful, not because we're lovely or lovable, not because we're sinless, but because he was sinless. He did that for the bride, in the bride's place. He presents her to himself. He makes us beautiful for him. I knew a pastor one time who had a congregation member, a man in his congregation, come to him and say, he said, Pastor, I think I actually love my wife too much. Pastor said, really? You love your wife too much? Do you love her more than Christ loves the church? No, the man agreed that he didn't. As Christ loves the church, so husbands ought to love their wives. A man who loves his wife in this biblical way will sacrifice for her. He will cherish and love her. Granted, we are sinners. And if you think through this text, you think there is no way that this is going to happen. You could be the godliest man on earth, and you will not love with a love the same way that Christ loved the church. That's true. That's true. This is speaking of, of a God-pleasing marriage, of what we are to strive for. 
We will never be as faithful or consistent in Christ, but that doesn't mean that we don't strive for that or that we don't long for that. Love her. When verse 22 says that a wife is to submit to her husband, she is to submit to a lover, not an ogre, not a jerk, not someone who tramples upon her, but someone who loves her and cherishes her, a man whose heart she trusts, a man who places her first, a man who is giving, a man who will pour himself out in service and love to her. The picture from Genesis 2 is that he is to leave father and mother, this is what verses 31 and 33 are talking about, and cleave to his wife, to cling to his wife, to cherish his wife so the two actually become one. Colossians 3.19, husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. This love, this commitment, this affection will show itself in very real, intangible ways as husband and his wife. In this, a husband must not be passive. He must be active. He must lead in love and in devotion to his wife and therefore to his Lord. That's what we see, secondly, the call to lead. A husband must love his wife, but the husband must also lead his wife and lead his family. The calling of a Christian husband is both a responsibility and a privilege. The Lord gives to this man, to you husbands, a beautiful woman. She's your wife. She's not somebody else's wife. And God has prepared you to your whole lives for each other, and he gives you to each other. And you are to find in your wife your fulfillment for marital love and faithfulness. Now, there's much that can be said about the Lord Jesus Christ's work in verses 26 and 27. He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Verse 27, that he may present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. But what it comes down to is that Jesus is caring for, nurturing, saving, and giving a new identity to and making his bride more beautiful. Likewise, not in a saving way, but in a very spiritual and real way, husbands are to do the same. The husband is to nurture his wife. He is to cherish her and to hold her. To give opportunities for her to flourish. To give her opportunities to use her talents, to use her abilities, to encourage her in that. Think of a child. It's less removed, or it's further removed if we think of a child. Imagine a child comes to his dad or comes to the parent and says, Hey dad, I have a great idea. How about we... Uh, how about we go play catch in the front yard? That's a no, dumb idea. Next day, the kid comes, hey, Dad, how about we go for a bike ride? Nope, dumb idea. Hey, Dad, how about we build something together? Nope, we not got time for that. Bad idea. Stop coming up with these bad ideas, kid. Well, what's going to happen to the child over time? Each one of those is a little bit of a wound to the child. Eventually, they're not going to come to Dad and ask that. I know what Dad's answer will be. It's deflating to the heart of a child. 
they get squashed. Men sometimes can do the same things to their wives. The wife should feel comfortable around her husband that she will be able to flourish as a Christian woman, using her gifts, using her ideas and her abilities to the glory of God's name. And there's an aspect of protection in that. Not merely because the husband is to physically protect her, as being stronger or something like that, but because God calls him to be the protector of his wife with the help of God. The husband should treat his wife in such a way that she should have a desire to be around him, to be with him, that she will enjoy spending time with him from a physical and an appearance perspective. A husband must make sure his wife is beautiful in his eyes. Some husbands are better at verbally expressing this than others, but these things must be said. Ben, you must say this. They must not merely be assumed. Don't fall into the trap of the story about the Dutchman who said to his friend, my wife is so beautiful, I almost told her one time. Don't be that man. Tell her she needs that. That's part of loving your wife. That's part of cherishing your wife. And in that, she feels protected and secure with her husband. There's a reason why Deuteronomy 24, verse 5, forbids a, forbids a man from going to war or having another burden laid on him in the first year. It says in Deuteronomy 24, it's so that he is, quote, free to stay at home and bring happiness to the wife he is married. He loves her. He cherishes her. He protects her. The intimate aspect of man's leadership is that he must be attentive to the needs of his wife. Marriage takes two people. There must be communication. And problems in marriage arise when hurts are left unsaid. And the one spouse tunes out the other. When sin breaks the beautiful bond of marriage. Broken marriages usually do not happen overnight. It's a slow drifting apart until you realize, oh, the kids just moved out. Who are you? We've been married for 30 years. We have not talked as husband and wife for a very long time. We've just, you got your life, I have mine. It's a drifting apart. Marriage takes work. It takes work to build up, to have a God-pleasing marriage. But when things are open, when things are communicated, sin can be dealt with. When there's been a problem, healing can take place. But it doesn't happen automatically. Another aspect of this protection, men, is a biblical jealousy for your wife. I mean this in the sense that God is a jealous God. We read it from the law. Our God is a jealous God, which means he calls his people to only have eyes for him. He is to be the only, sole, exclusive God. A man ought to desire that his wife has eyes only for him. That he's jealous for undivided love from his wife. She's your wife to be enjoyed by you. When she is in public, she is still your wife. Now, she must not be forced to dress frumpy or something like that. But she should also not dress for the pleasure of other men. She's your wife, not their wives, not for their enjoyment. 
husband and wife belong to each other. And the text continues about the fact that this involves their own bodies. Verse 28, the same way a husband should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Christ does the church. They're together in this. There's a unity in that. A husband and wife live in this way to please each other. Love your wife in a way that she will not have eyes for another man. If you have your Bibles open, turn over to Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs 5. It's a beautifully poetic poem referring to marriage. The uninspired title of this chapter, Proverbs 5, is Warning Against Adultery. If you could just twist that around and put it in the positive. Warning for merit or guidance for marital faithfulness. Verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern. You know that's not talking about water. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad? Streams of water in the streets? It's talking about marriage. Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Be captivated with your wife's love. Whether she's 25 or 75, be captivated by the love, by the beauty of your wife. She's your wife. Another aspect of this protection is spiritual protection. We see in the scriptures, in the very first sin, a man who's passive. You know this text, but if you'd like to turn over to Genesis 3, look at verse 6. We see a man there who's passive. The first sin is a sin of marital unfaithfulness in one way. Genesis 3, verse 6. The serpent has come to the woman. Boys and girls, you know the command that God gave. Do not eat of the tree. If you eat of it, you will die. The serpent comes to the woman and tempts her. Verse 6. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And he ate. Boys and girls, where was Adam? He was with her, seemingly standing next to her, watching what was going on. What was he doing? He was watching his wife be seduced into sin by the devil. He was with her. What should Adam have done? He should have intervened. He should have said, no, Eve, we must listen to God and not to this snake. Instead, what do we see them do? They learned what shame was for the first time. They were naked before and had no shame. Now the scriptures say their eyes were opened and they saw that they were naked. They even made coverings for themselves in verse 7. 
Isn't that strange? Why would they make coverings for themselves? Who else was going to see them? Their husband and wife. Sin even ruins the intimacy of marriage. They have shame for each other now after the fall. This is the nature of sin and shame and sexuality. Shame becomes a way to recognize we're in sin. But even today that's being thrown away. Even the phrase, have you no shame? Evidently not. Oftentimes today, women in the name of freedom reveal more and more. They get upset when they're treated as objects, which is wrong. They ought never to be. But they also ought not to dress like objects, selling selling themselves for the thrill of getting checked out by someone else. What happened in the rest of Genesis 3? Well, the next thing we see is blame shifting. It's been happening ever since. Adam, what happened? Where are you? Why are you hiding? Well, the woman that you gave to me, she gave of me to eat. Woman, why did you do this? Well, the serpent, he tempted me and I ate. They shift blame from one to the other to the other. Same is taking place today in marriage. The man stood by passively, and ever since, the danger is for man to be passive, to let the wife lead, to let someone else take responsibility. Men, our wives and daughters are under attack today. You realize that? I mean, I visit a number of widows who say, Pastor, I cannot imagine having children now in this world. And what is going on in this world? The whole world of social media, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat. Girls are pressured into giving in to whatever young men today desire. Our women are under attack. How can we men respond First way is to teach your sons to respect women and to teach them about chastity and the gift of marriage as a way to deal with their physical desires. Teach them respect for women. And obviously the greatest way you'll teach them respect is the way you treat their mother and your mother. Teach them respect. Second, for our daughters and maybe wives as well. Make it clear to them that their worth, their value, does not and cannot come from other people. But their value and their worth must come from God through Jesus Christ. Teach your daughters that a man's love will waver. A selfish man is just a boy who has not grown up. But God's love is an unconditional love. And teach your daughters that their beauty is not found because it conforms to some arbitrary standard of the day. This is what a beautiful woman looks like. It's a lie. It's a lie. But that their beauty, their true beauty, their lasting beauty, and frankly what men truly desire is something that takes place in the heart. We want beautiful hearts. 
We want daughters with beautiful hearts. Charm is deceitful and beauty is fading, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Mothers must teach their daughters these things, but fathers as well. A daughter will look to you for acceptance and will look to you for care and for love. Emphasize this in the right place, the heart, the mind, service, care, faith, and love. Another area the man is to show sacrificial leadership is in parenting. This gets into Ephesians 6, but what it comes down to is that men must let their wives have children. Men must let their wives have children. A husband must permit his wife to flourish in the home and in the covenant care and the nurture of children. And he also needs to communicate clearly with her on her emotional and physical needs in terms of family planning. Maybe it isn't the wisest and God-glorifying decision for a particular family to have 14 children. But for another family, it may be. And it may work. And God may lead them that way. But it's not a one-size-fits-all. In marriage, be attentive to the needs of your wife. The last aspect of a husband's leadership we find in Christ's work of caring, cleaning, etc. in the church is found in verses 26 and 27. These things that he does, sanctifying her, cleansing her, presenting to himself, she might be holy, without blemish, this involves worship. It involves worship. It is the man's responsibility, not only, but primarily to make sure that his family is faithfully attending worship. When someone plants a garden, it's the gardener's responsibility to water the garden, to fertilize the garden, to till the soil, to keep rabbits or other predators out of the garden, so that at the end of the season, he may harvest what has grown. So too, husbands, must ensure that their family is centered upon God's word. And this begins, first and foremost, with your own walk with God, with your own faith. Have you given yourself completely over and under the yoke of the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you given up self, and do you find yourself now in Jesus Christ? That yoke which is light, which is Christ, are you wearing it? That's where it begins. You can't teach your children the spiritual truths of the reality of God's word and what it is to walk with God if you yourself are not walking with God. You can't tell your children, why don't you guys go to church this afternoon? It's good, you got to be there, but I'm going to go with the buddies golfing. It's Father's Day. That's what fathers do on Father's Day. What kind of spiritual leadership is that? No, you don't point them. You lead them. You walk and they follow. That's the calling of the Christian husband, the Christian father. He must take them in the places where they will grow, namely worship. A husband must ensure that his family is worshiping God, therefore not only on Sunday, but every day. Every day is worship to God. Family worship should be taking place. When your family goes on vacation, 
It's the husband's responsibility primarily that they're going to be in a place that has a church. You know, Saturday night, sit down when you're on vacation and say, hey, you know what? It's actually Sunday tomorrow. I wonder if there's any churches in this town. You've just failed in, in, in planning leadership spiritually for your family. Go to a place where there's a church. A faithful one. To be a godly husband in the home is to be a sacrificial leader in the home. That means you must sacrifice your own time, your own energy, maybe some hobbies. You know all of those things that you like to do when you got married? You think, well, now I'm married. What happened to them all? Well, sometimes it's called sacrifice. It's pleasing to God for the sake of the family the Lord has given you. And in closing, what is it, men, that your wives and your children desire the most? You know what they desire the most? Not a better vacation. Not the best name brand clothes. Not the biggest house. What they need and frankly want is you. They want you to be home. And when you're home, they want you to be engaged. We're busy. And man, you have a calling to provide for your family. But we must make sure, and it is of utmost importance to recognize the importance of being a godly husband, of being there, of being connected. I can pick on ministers for a minute. Historically, there's always a joke about pastor's kids being rebellious. Why are pastor's kids rebellious? They have godly parents. Maybe is it connected to the fact that dad is never home? He deals with everybody else's problems, but never their own? A Christian minister must be home. He must set an example. But all of us, as fathers, you can't trade that out. You can't be absent and buy your kids gifts and say, well, at least you have cool stuff. That's not the, that's not, they don't want stuff. They want dad. There's no replacement for it. Our text gives us the example of Christ. And men, we must realize that we cannot measure up to that standard. So then what should we do? We look to the one who did give himself wholly and fully for his bride. Follow the one who presents his bride to himself without blemish, holy and blameless, look to the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you do so, through repentance and faith, may the Lord bless the homes of this congregation. May the Lord bless your homes, that they may be sanctuaries of God's grace and love and care and protection. God has given us a tremendous calling, but he also gives us the grace to live in this calling, for the glory of his name. Amen. We respond now.